0: And now it's time for your questions and my answers today on Bible Study Podcasts.org starting now. Welcome, everybody, to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I am your host, Toby Logsden, and today is Wednesday, February the 13th. And pardon me for having a little bit of fun there with the intro. Sometimes I just, I don't know. Anyway. Welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and after oh man a little bit more than a month maybe a month and a half I guess we've taken some wednesdays off I guess the last lesson we did was the first week of january if i'm if i'm not mistaken and uh, i very well could be mistaken but anyway it has been way too long since we've had one of these and uh, i apologize for the delay it's, uh, it's been kind of crazy around here lately, and so it's just been a matter of me actually having the time to do it. So uh, thank you for your patience. Next week we are going to resume with our End Times study. We're going to be talking about the pre-tribulation view of the rapture. Uh, and after that, you know, we're going to be readdressing some of the issues that we actually covered last year. Such as homosexuality uh, we um, we did a, a, a podcast on homosexuality last year, and we received a question on the website recently uh, about whether or not there's actually an agenda and whether or not the Bible actually condemns homosexuality or not, and so we 're going to be actually reexamining that issue, and there are a couple other issues that we 're going to be reexamining along the way as well i 'm not going to be you know giving you the same answers I did last year i 'm going to actually be you know hopefully adding a little bit more to what we covered before. So uh, be on the lookout for that stuff in the weeks and months to come as well. But you know, we do have a tradition here. Every second week of the month, we have a question and answer session. So that is where we find ourselves today. And so I'm going to take your questions. I've been, you know, receiving your questions through the email. And I apologize to those of you who have emailed me over the past month or so and haven't heard back from me. Uh, It's it's not that I haven't read your email, it's that I just have been totally stretched as far as I can be stretched. So so anyway, let's go ahead and get to the questions. Our first question comes from John. He's one of my friends on MySpace. And he writes, Hi, I'm still a fairly new believer and still struggling with my prayer training wheels, so to speak. I was wondering, how do you know when God speaks to you at any time, whether it be during prayer or when it's unexpected? Is it an audible voice? What type of signs should I look for to let me know God is telling me an answer to my prayers besides visible revelation. This is something that I'm having a hard time with. It's really holding back my prayer life. I'm unsure whether or not God is working or responding, so I lose the drive to pray. Please help. Thanks in advance. Well, thank you, John, for the question. That's a really good question, Uh, and it's definitely a question that we can all relate to. It's it's something that we've all asked at one point or another. So thank you, John, for sending that question in. We serve a very personal God who hears our every prayer. He's everywhere at all times. So he... Uh, He's all-knowing. So we know that he hears everything that we say, and, and he knows our thoughts before we even speak them. He knows our thoughts before they even come into our mind. And he has an individually unique plan and a purpose for each one of us, and we're called to carry that out. So God has to communicate that plan to us in some way, but how? Well, I'd say that it's, it's not the same for everyone. There are actually a variety of ways that God can communicate with us. First of all, I would say that God communicates to us through his word. We have to be in the word of God. We have to be in the Bible as much as we can possibly be. And, you know, sometimes, for example, I'll be reading a passage and all of a sudden, uh, I'll remember a prayer I had and I'll gain insight into what God is calling me to do or what he's trying to communicate to me or, or what he's telling me not to do you know, and and that helps. That's one way. And, you know, some people actually do say that they hear an audible voice when God speaks to them. Now, I don't deny that possibility, even though I've never experienced it consciously myself, although, you know, I've had dreams in which I've, I've heard God speak in an audible voice. But that's another way for God to be able to speak to us, you know, either through dreams or visions or, or things of that nature. But some people do say that they hear an audible voice while they're awake as well. Sometimes God speaks to us through what I would describe as a passion. He'll put you know something on your heart and it just doesn't go away. Instead, the burden that you feel to fulfill that, that passion intensifies until it becomes what you might call a, a burden or a conviction. For me, for example, you know, right now I'm feeling like I have a conviction or or a burden to plant a church. And this is something that's been on my heart, something that God's been wrestling with my heart about for about three years now. And just recently, you know, over the past few months, it has intensified to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling anxious to get moved and, and start planting a church, but this is something that I am feeling convicted about and something that I am sure that he put on my heart because I've tried to kind of find another way around it, but it keeps coming back to this. This is what I want to do. Sometimes God will speak to us through other people. He'll put uh, Maybe he'll put a burden on their heart to pray for you, and they'll just let you know that the Lord has put you on their heart, and just, just them telling you, you know, hey, God really put you on my heart today. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. Sometimes just hearing that is so encouraging. And it's it's like what we need. It's just what we needed to hear. But you know, there are a lot of different ways that God speaks to us. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. These are just some of the thoughts off the top of my head, but you know, even if I had an exhaustive list, there would be one common factor among all of these means that God uses to communicate with us, and that is none of the things that he calls us to do or tries to communicate to us will contradict his word. None of the things he will call us to do or that he'll try to communicate to us will contradict his word, which is another reason that we should always be reading our bibles trying to develop a fuller understanding of god's word so if you think that god is communicating with you to do something like murder well you know that contradicts his word in scripture so you can be sure that god will not tell you to do something that the bible tells us not to do because god is never changing and his righteousness and his holiness is never changing uh, as for whether or not God is working, I can assure you that he is hearing your prayers and answering them in a way whatever way that is that benefits you the most, and only he knows what that is, even you don't know what that is i don't know uh, i don't know you know what ways will benefit me the most until it's in hindsight and I say wow I'm glad God didn't answer that prayer because if he would have given me that you know." that would have, that would have, you know, hurt me in the end. But of course, you know, the pat answer that we're all taught is that God answers prayers by saying yes, no, or wait. And sometimes he'll wait years to answer our prayers. And by doing so, he builds character in us as we wait on him. I know that, you know, while I was working as a casino dealer in Vegas, for example, my wife was praying for me for almost seven years because I had fallen away from God. But, you know, her prayers were answered seven years later, and the Lord drew me back to him. In the meantime, she was strengthened in her faith because of all the years that she spent praying for me. But I do know this, John. I do know that he hears your prayers before those words are spoken from your lips, and he's working to strengthen you and to build you up as he would have you to become But that's a great question, John. Thank you for sending that in, and God bless you. Thank you for the question. Our next question comes from Jeff, who writes, I had a question that could be used in the February questions, if you're going to have them. Regardless, I would like your interpretation of this. This can be a divisive topic, though, so I understand if you do not want to use it. Well... Since when have I, you know, taken a divisive topic and said, I'm not going to talk about this. Uh, anyway, the question is about First Timothy 2, verse 12, or more broadly, First Timothy 2, verses 11 through 14. And uh, the NIV says, starting with verse 11 through 14, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. I don't exactly like that uh, that translation. The NIV is sometimes a little bit of a paraphrase, and, and there's a lot that's in there that got paraphrased instead of translated literally. Uh, and, and then he quotes the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, which is actually the version that I usually prefer. I studied Greek under uh, one of the guys who was one of the translators. So, um, I I actually prefer the the New American Standard Bible. Anyway, uh, the New American Standard Version says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, now, first of all, it doesn't say that only women must receive instruction with entire submissiveness. It says that that's the way for a woman to learn, but it doesn't say only for women to learn that way. That's how men, in my opinion, should learn too uh that that you know sometimes you know in class, if I'm not getting something, the best thing for me to do is just be quiet, and, you know, just say, hey, you know, my teacher has a better understanding of this than I do, and, you know, I will go back to it myself until I understand it. So I receive the instruction with, uh, with a submissive attitude that, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, listen to what my teacher has to say, and then I'll, you know, ask questions later. But um, anyway, then, You know, uh, Jeff continues by saying, "It seems pretty cut and dry that women are not to become pastors, teaching, or have authority over men." This is not a popular position of many churches. However, I attend a Baptist church that is a member of the American Baptist Churches and more locally, growing healthy churches. Our former pastor agreed with my interpretation, but our interim pastor is on the opposite side. I found a website that argues very effectively. What do you think? And he sent me a a link to the website, and I, I have checked that out. So, first of all, as always, thank you for your question, Jeff. You are correct. This is a very, very divisive issue in our churches today. There are people on both sides of this issue who believe passionately in their position. And oftentimes, people hold their position on this more passionately than they do their their stance regarding the inerrancy of Scripture, even, for example. But I would conjecture to say that that's because of where we are as a culture right now. in our culture in you know, North America... Women are just now, they are only now coming to be recognized as equal in every way to men, you know, as far as human rights goes, uh, which from the perspective of human rights and so on, they should be. Uh, In their nature, women are equivalent to men, and the Bible affirms this. As uh, my teacher, Norman Geisler, puts it, quote, if women were naturally unequal to men because of their God-appointed role as Submissive to their head, then Christ would be naturally inferior to God, since He is submissive to the Father. So the fact that women are supposed to be submissive to their husbands doesn't mean that they are inferior to them. That's that's not even implied in the text. But uh, you know, this is this is supported in First Corinthians chapter eleven verse three and chapter fifteen verse twenty-eight. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that men and women. Were both created in God's image. Women are not inferior to men, and that is not communicated anywhere in the Bible. Women are also spiritually gifted with all the same gifts that men can be spiritually gifted with. Of course, we find this in the book of Acts. For example, Priscilla, who obviously was a woman, was a prophetess who taught Apollos until Apollos was fully trained. Uh, And the thing we have to make note of in this scenario, however, is that there were no readily available men who were able to instruct Apollos. Uh, Priscilla was the one who was there. So I would say that God can use a woman teach a man when another man isn't readily available to do so. And, you know, there are some, some very spiritually gifted women out there who have great ministries. Kay Arthur has an awesome Bible teaching ministry for women, and so does Beth Moore. But moving on, women are also equal to men in terms of their redemptive status. Paul wrote that all people, regardless of their gender or where they're from, all people are redeemed the same way through the death of Jesus. Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. However, while they are equal to men in these regards, uh, they have different roles to which God calls women. He, he ordains them to do different things. One of the qualifying characteristics that an elder had to have in order to hold uh, the position of being an elder is that they needed to be the husband of one wife. We find that in First Timothy chapter 3 verse 2. Women are instructed not to have authority over men because God created men to be spiritual leaders in their respective households. And many people argue that this was just a, a cultural thing back in the first century, but that's not what the Bible teaches us. In those verses that you gave us, we read um, that the reason women aren't supposed to teach or hold authority over men is because Adam was created first, and then Eve. That's not a cultural fact. That's not a cultural opinion. That's a universal and unchangeable fact that Adam was created first, and that's the reason that Paul gives for men being the teachers and for, for women not being teachers at least not over men. So the fact that women don't have the same function within the body of Christ that men have doesn't make them in any way inferior, and it doesn't make men superior. Women have functions that men don't have, such as bearing children. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, which is actually the verse that immediately follows the passage that you gave, uh, Paul writes that, quote, women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. In other words, it's It's because of women that anyone can be saved at all, since Jesus, as the Messiah, had to be delivered through the womb of a woman. Women just have a different role. So thus, while women... Uh, are equal to men in terms of their spiritual gifts, their redemptive status, and their status in nature. They differ in their function. To differ doesn't make them inferior. It just means that they were created for things that men weren't created for, and vice versa. And that doesn't mean that I don't like women. It doesn't mean that I don't want women in ministry or don't think that they belong in ministry. It's just a matter of who they're teaching. And, uh, you know, like I said, K. Arthur and Beth Moore are two fabulous teachers. They're some of the best teachers in the world, I would go so far as to say. Uh but they are geared specifically or, or primarily toward women. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. As always, you know, if, if you guys have uh any questions about my answers or, you know, want to discuss this further, you can always email me. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail dot com. You're always welcome to email me with your questions. So our last question for today uh, comes from Yemi. Yemi writes, Hi Toby, thanks for running this site. A lot of my friends are enjoying it. This last week I was talking with a friend about free will. I could not find free will in the Bible. It will make sense for us to think that we have free will. My question then is, do you believe in free will, and do you have any scripture to back it up? God continue to bless you? Uh, Thank you, Yemi. I appreciate that. Thank you for that question. I think it's a legitimate question, and there are actually groups of people out there who deny that we even have free will. In last week's Romans lesson, I talked about how some people, open theists or uh, process theologians, go to one extreme regarding God's foreknowledge, claiming that God doesn't know the future because we have free will. And then there are people who go to the opposite extreme, arguing that God knows the future because He determines it. That is, you know, he kind of sets it in stone. He, he pushes the first domino and, you know, everything is going to fall the way it's going to fall because that's the way he set it. Determinism holds that our actions, human actions, are caused by a force outside of ourselves. In other words, a hardcore determinist would argue that you're asking this question because God determined that you would. They'd say that you've been determined to question whether or not you've been determined as ridiculous as that might sound. But you are correct. You will not find the term free will in the Bible. The Bible never explicitly says that God gave us free will. However, it's undeniable that the principle of free will is implicit in the pages of Scripture. You read in... uh, Genesis 2.16, God told Adam, you are free, or you are free to eat, or you may freely eat. There's a choice that Adam is being given here. He can choose to eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden other than the tree of good and evil knowledge. So Adam had a choice to either eat only of the permitted trees, or he could choose to eat from the forbidden tree. God cannot force or tempt anyone to do evil because evil is what God has promised that he will prevail against he can't prevail against himself you know That's, that's necessarily self-contradicting, uh, obviously. And because he is all good and all powerful, he will prevail against evil. God cannot cause evil. He can only permit it for a time in order that it will be defeated. But it's undeniable that evil exists, even though we know from God's character that it doesn't flow from him. Rather, evil flows from a failure to abide in the goodness and the righteousness of his ways. So the fact that we are given choices to either either do this or that or not do this or that necessarily implies that there is free will. Further, because God didn't create evil, but rather evil flows from free will, and you know, evil does exist, we can know that free will Exists because free will is a necessary condition for evil to exist. There wouldn't be evil if there wasn't free will. But evil does exist. Therefore, free will must exist. The fact that God holds us accountable for our sins necessarily implies that we're responsible for our sins. Meaning, it's it's something that we freely choose to do or not do. It would make no sense for me to be held responsible for something that I didn't want to do. If I were, uh, let's let's say I was knocked out and somebody put a gun my hand and moved my finger uh, that was on the trigger, which in turn fired the gun, which in turn killed someone, who is guilty of murder? Would it be me or would it be the person who maneuvered the gun into my hand as well as maneuvering uh, my, my finger on the trigger? Well, obviously the person who did the maneuvering would be the guilty party. So when God tells us that we're to love him with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, He's putting the ball in our court, and he's allowing us to choose to obey that command or to disobey it. So yes, free will is definitely communicated implicitly. In the Bible, even though it's not taught explicitly, anytime there's a choice, there must be somebody who must make that choice, and God gives that choice to us. I hope that answers your question, Yami. Thank you so much for sending that in. I appreciate your questions very much, and thank you guys for being so patient while we waited for this next lesson. And thank you for uh, for continuing to listen to this ministry. It's such a blessing to have you with us. I hope that you guys have a great weekend. I will see you next week on BibleStudyPodcast.org. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a para-ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a non-profit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right hand side you can make a tax-deductible donation from there by doing so you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who just like yourself desire to find answers and meaning in scripture we thank you for listening today and we pray that the lord blesses you and draws you closer to him keep growing closer to jesus